let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Here's what DC is talking about. City officials are considering redrawing school boundaries for the first time in a decade, and it's a pretty big deal, even if you're not a DCPS parent, because it could significantly improve the city's equity. Abigail Higgins has written a ton about why the current system is so unequal and how redistricting could change that. Today is Monday, May 1st. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is CityCast DC. Abigail, you know, this can feel like one of those issues that's sort of niche. You know, if you folks don't have kids or are not planning to have kids, it might be an issue that they don't really see as impacting them. But what does redrawing these boundaries mean for the city at large, even for folks who don't have kids? Yeah, you're right. I think that this often seems like a really kind of wonky niche issue. I think uh, reviewing the school boundaries is something that impacts every D.C. resident and that everyone in the city should care about. And there's a few reasons for that. One is that School boundaries really reflect some of the biggest inequities in Washington, D.C., both historically and in a more contemporary sense. A 2019 Urban Institute report found that school boundary lines across the United States and also in D.C. hew really closely to redlining maps, which are the racist New Deal era federal policy maps that determined who was and wasn't worthy of a home loan based on race. And those lines that were made way back then are still reflected in where people live in Washington, D.C., and they're also reflected in how our school boundaries are drawn. So school boundaries really reflect um, racial inequities in our city. They reflect economic inequities in our city. And they reflect housing inequities in our city. So this review process, which is happening for the first time since 2014, and before 2014, it hadn't happened since 1968, is a really important opportunity to review how we can make D.C. a more equitable city. So is that really the goal of this process, to make things more equitable? Yeah, it is. That is ideally what this process will contribute to. And it involves potentially some slightly more like specific or technical things, like literally just where should these school boundaries be? be drawn? Um, should they be shifted a little bit to help improve overcrowding in some schools or under-enrollment in others? But it's also a more holistic review process that involves an opportunity for a lot of community input. Are neighborhood schools serving students in the best way that they can? Is programming equally distributed across the city? Programming like language immersion programs or Montessori programs, teacher to student staffing levels. Um, it's really an opportunity to think holistically and um, for the community to give feedback on whether schools are, are, are serving 
the city students and families. How different are they anyway? Like, what would this process really mean in terms of getting resources for schools? I think there's a few things to that um, make DC's education system unique uh, that are important to understand when we're thinking about the school boundary review process. And one of those things is that D.C. has one of the highest numbers of charter schools in the entire country. About half of D.C. students attend a charter school. And D.C. also has a lottery system. And so 72 percent of D.C. students participate in the lottery system, which means that instead of attending their neighborhood school that they're assigned to by their school boundaries, they are entering into a lottery that has a complicated algorithm that basically, you know, families can put their top choices for, for what schools across the entire city they would like to attend and they will get assigned a school based on this algorithm. So it's an opportunity for students to be able to choose from schools across the city as opposed to just schools that they're boundaried into. Most students don't actually attend their neighborhood school. They're attending a school um, somewhere else across the city. So when we're thinking about changing school boundaries, it is an opportunity to improve equity, but it's not the only opportunity to improve equity because so many students go to a school outside of their boundary. And whether or not students choose to attend their neighborhood school depends a lot on where they live in the city. Basically, what we see is that in-boundary participation is really, really high in um, the Jackson Reed feeder pattern, which is made up of some of the wealthiest and whitest neighborhoods in like the city's upper northwest corner. Um, about 79% of students choose to attend the school that they're boundaried into. And that's almost three times higher than the district's average. When we look at schools in Ward 7 and 8, that boundary participation drops to often closer to like 20%. Um, and what those numbers suggest is that not all students in the city and not all families in the city feel like the school in their neighborhood is a the best place where they can get a good education. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree that's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. 
What are some of the drawbacks to folks who are traveling out of their neighborhood to attend school? Yeah, that's a really important question because, you know, what I've heard a lot of people say is that we offer a lot of choice in education in D.C., right? Students and families can choose the school that is best for them, regardless of where it is in the city, or at least can, you know, play a fairly active role in in choosing that school. But if students can't actually safely get to the school that they want to go to, that doesn't actually offer them very much choice. And we see that students in Ward 7 and Ward 8, they often have to travel much longer distances um, to get to school. So they're having to wake up earlier, travel further across the city. Neighborhood safety looks really different across the city. It's a very different experience walking to school if you are in a neighborhood that is heavily impacted by gun violence. It looks really different if you are walking to school in a neighborhood that doesn't have sidewalks. You know, so not all students feel equally safe commuting to school. It looks very different for different families in terms of whether parents have the time and resources to drive their kids to school or to accompany their kids to school in public transportation. So then these kids just don't go to school? And is that one of the things that we're really trying to correct for here? No, I wouldn't say that they're not going to school. I think what we're trying to correct here is a few different things. One thing that education advocates have said is really important is how can we make sure that all families feel like they have a school in their neighborhood that serves their kids, right? There might be instances where you know, maybe there is a desirable language immersion program, you know, or maybe there is a Montessori program, or maybe there is a science and maths magnet program. There will probably always be reasons that will make sense for students to travel to another school. But for a lot of parents, it's really important to make sure that the school that is closest to them is a school that they feel is high quality and is a school that they feel comfortable sending their kids to. So how do we make sure that some of the special programming and some of these additional resources are equitably divided across the city? Why is there such a big difference in, this, in the different resources that schools get? Like, is it just about taxing or, you know, the, the taxes in different wards or is it something else? There are absolutely numbers that we have about schools in Ward 7 and 8 being much more overcrowded and having lower teacher-to-student ratios. But something that education advocates will also point out is that there is often a lot of perception issues, I think, that that schools are battling. There are often a lot of assumptions that are made about what makes a quote-unquote good school and what makes a quote-unquote bad school. And those aren't always backed up by numbers and whether or not students are getting a quote-unquote good education or a quote-unquote bad education. And those assumptions are often based on the racial demographics of the school or the neighborhood that the school is located in. So you mentioned that there are also other solutions that the government could consider tackling to improve school equity. What are some of those solutions? Yeah. So, you know, this was something that was really important that came up throughout my reporting process. There are a few solutions that people point to. One is what is called equitable access preference. And that is basically where at-risk students, and at-risk students are defined as students who are homeless, students who are in foster care, and students whose families are on government benefits like food stamps or other types of government assistance. 
and that those students would basically get equitable preference in the lottery system. This is already being piloted at almost a couple dozen schools around the city. So that's one potential solution. Another is what we were just talking about, which is how do you make it safer and easier for kids to get to school? How do we make our neighborhoods safer um, so that kids feel safe commuting to school? And how do we make things like public transportation more affordable and more accessible so that kids can safely and comfortably get to other parts of the city? I know a lot of parents listening probably have opinions, um, and even folks who don't. Uh, If folks want to get involved, what should they be doing? Yeah, so I think that's a really important question, and it's an important question, particularly right now, because this boundary review process has a lot of community input baked into it. And the spring is basically the time that... The Office of the Deputy Mayor for Education is soliciting public comment. So there will be three rounds of town halls, a series of like different forms of engagement with communities who are living around schools, and also just like opportunities for people to send direct feedback about how and whether their schools are serving them and their kids and their community. There's also an advisory committee uh, made up of education stakeholders from across the city, and they had their first meeting on March 30th, and they'll be meeting monthly for, I believe, the majority of this year. Um, And those meetings are going to be live streamed uh, so people can watch them if they want and send feedback. And yeah, I think it's just really important for people to show up, particularly to these town halls, and really speak out about what matters for them and their children and their community when it comes to education in the city. Abigail, thank you so much for following this issue so closely. We end every episode with a DC life hack. What is yours? Yeah. So my favorite DC life hack right now is the fact that if you buy a book at Lost City Books in Adams Morgan, you can get a free slice of pizza at the pizza place next door and you can sit outside and eat it and read a book. And it's the best way to spend a spring afternoon in DC. What a good tip. Abigail (laughs) Higgins, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And before you go, some quick news. Mayor Muriel Bowser announced a new crime-fighting initiative for the summer, anticipating an uptick in crime stats. Violent crime and homicides are already 16% higher than they were at this point last year. Bowser's new plan involves increased police presence across the city, despite staffing being at a half-century low. Also, ever considered going to the Olympics for high jumping? Well, now's your big chance to practice, because Metro is testing out even higher fare gates to stop folks from avoiding fares. The saloon-style doors they're trying out at Fort Totten are going to be five feet tall instead of four, but we think teens might still find a way over them. And lastly, Metro has officially decided to install cameras on D.C. buses to catch and find people driving in bus lanes or blocking bus stops. Right now, blocked bus lanes are slowing buses down to an average of 9.8 miles per hour. This should improve service, but critics think the plan is more about generating revenue than speeding up transit. Metro says it'll start ticketing this fall. That's 
that's all for today here on CityCast DC. And if you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and tell your favorite DCPS parent. You can rate us on your podcast app and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then.